Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and we're broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your own community radio. We will be looking at how the privatising of community services is a recipe for putting profit before people. We will be talking to Simone White from the New South Wales Rape and Domestic Violence Service. She's an ASU member. We will follow up why Jed Carney from the ACTU resigned from the federal government's Ministerial Advisory Council for Skilled Migration, that's M-A-S-C-M, as soon as Turnbull announced the 457 visa would be dropped. But first, some union news. The ETU called for a shutdown of Luoyang in the Latrobe Valley for May 15th, starting at 12am, to force AGL to the negotiating table. AGL, the corporation running Luoyang in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria, the outlet that provides half of Victoria's power, were threatened with industrial action affecting key operating staff starting on May 15th by the ETU following the employer's refusal to negotiate the new EBA over the last 18 months. It also follows AGL's win in January to rescind the EBA for other workers at Luoyang, putting them on a modern award, removing conditions, wages and affecting superannuation payments. AGL followed up with the threat to shut the plant down in order to preserve the equipment. The proposed industrial action would compromise the safe operations of the plant and would ultimately put Victoria's power generation at risk, said uh, Mr Renietz, who manages Luoyang for AGL. Responding to AGL's tactic, the government, faced with what has been characterised as an energy crisis, asked the Fair Work Commission to terminate the protected industrial action. ETU branch organiser Peter Mooney said the company's reaction to the proposed strike action wasn't unexpected and workers would not back down until we get an agreement. We've got to go through with the action and if the state government decides to step in, then that's a decision for the government, he said. Hundreds of workers at Luoyang have been offered 20% increases in salary over four years, but have knocked it back due to concerns about the company's plan to slash minimum staffing levels. Mr Innett, the AGL manager, has previously said it was hard to fathom that in tight economic times the union had encouraged its members to reject such a good offer. But Mr Mooney from the ETU said the dispute had never been about money. It's about the minimum number of staffing, contracting and the protection of people's entitlements, he said. On May the 4th, Fairfax journalists, supported by their union, the MEAA, went out on a seven-day strike, unprotected action, in response to a further cut of 125 jobs from the editorial staff across the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age outlets. That is, 125 jobs from a pool of 500. The cuts are said to be to save $30 million. However, it has been pointed out the upper management still suck up the savings in bonuses. In a constricting mainstream media landscape, 
fears for Australia's democracy has been expressed. We spoke to a striking worker on the weekend. Well, we're down here at uh, Trades Hall and uh, we're celebrating uh, Workers' Day and uh, I'm talking to one of the Fairfax journalists who have gone on strike. Do you want to tell me what it's about for you? Well, for me, I'm mostly a breaking news online reporter and although people think this is a print issue, it is in fact as much to do with online as it is to do with print. We will... We feel that this is cut, cutting not just to the bone but the bones of the company and taking away our ability to do our jobs. So the people who were left behind will still be in a very bad state. Now this is the third round of cuts. It goes back to 2014 and then 2016. Now we're in 2017. You really must be down to the bare bones. What's it like to work there? Uh, it's pretty tight at times. We do our very best and I think that it's only down to the um, the inner resolve of people who become journalists and want and work for the age and it, don't get me wrong, it is hard to get into the age, um, that, it, that we are able to continue doing our job and some of it frankly feels like volunteer work. So what's the next stage? You're all on strike. Uh, we are all on strike and uh, it's a week-long strike so um, so far um, We've got quite a lot of it, lot of that inner resolve, and we're sticking to our guns. But it is hard work. The striking journos are caught in the avril of all culture workers in our economic system. In March, it was reported that the American private equity company TPG Capital had amassed shares in Fairfax as it weighed up whether to make a full bid for the online property portal and media group. Now the bid is in. The $2.2 billion Australian bid lobbed over the weekend is subject to regulatory review, including from the Foreign Investment Review Board. The proposal essentially involves splitting Fairfax into two parts, the TPG consortium, which includes the Ontario Teachers' Pension Plan Board, would obtain lucrative assets such as real estate section domain. It would also obtain the core mastheads and digital assets. Existing Fairfax shareholders would retain the New Zealand business, regional newspapers, the stake in Macquarie Media and the 50% share of Stan. These would be housed in a new ASX listed entry that would also have all of Fairfax current debt. Well, it comes as no surprise. It's a deal that's been done by BMA and Rivto to destroy the livelihoods of 22, uh, 22 Mackay locals and members of the Maritime Union of Australia. That's the sounds of Bob Carnegie, Queensland Secretary for the MUA, after the sacking of the entire tug workforce at the Haypoint Coal Terminal near Mackay on the 30th of June 2016 when PHP Billiton Mitsubishi Alliance, that's BMAs, awarded the tugboat contract to Rifto. Now, Rifto operated non-union tug crews out of Port Pedland since November 2015 in competition with the MUA unionised contractor. But in another creative way of attacking working rights, Rifto has used partnership agreements to remove the workforce out of the Fair Work Commission purview. Bob Carnegie again. Rivto is being awarded by BMA because nobody who will work for Rivto will actually be an employee. They will all be trustees, trustees of a partnership. It is a, it will guarantee that anyone who works for 
who works on a rivetoed tug will not actually be covered by any section of the Fair Work Act, which means that nobody working on a rivetoed tug in, at the BMA terminal will be entitled to long service leave, holiday, sick pay, workers' compensation, any of the things that every, any worker in Australia has taken to be an entitlement over the last 100 years. It is absolutely disgraceful. On April the 26th, MUA members held a sit-in in the foyer of BMA in Brisbane in their continued fight for justice. Um, we're here at BMA's uh, foyer. We've taken over the foyer. Um, we're here to fight for Australian jobs on Australian vessels. This is Dave Green, our uh, industrial solicitor for the Queensland branch MUA. Can you just tell us what we're doing here today? But yeah, absolutely. We're here today? protesting against BMA, uh, BHB, the Mitsubishi Alliance, and the absolutely outrageous things they've done to deny Aussie jobs to Aussie workers. Uh, not only have they uh, gotten rid of hard-working, tax-paying Australians on tugboats, uh, but they are the largest shipper of coal out of Australia and they don't employ one Australian seafarer on those ships. Yep. It's a shame and it's not right and that's why we're here today. Yeah, mate. Thanks very much. And Craig, Craig's one of our comrades that works on the tugs out of Gladstone. Um, they haven't had the partnership scourge go into there yet, but um, can you give us a little bit of how long you've been in the industry and what you've been doing and how, you know, how it's going for you? I've uh, been in the industry for just over 20 years. For, uh, going on two years now. Uh, the partnership thing it's uh, it's a big worry. Yep. There's nothing nothing good no. about partnerships for the for the guys in the partnership. Yep. Except maybe the skippers and the company, because yep. they class themselves as senior partners and skippers. And, yep. um, so as yeah. workers, uh, as employees, you lose all your rights and all yeah. your conditions. Yeah. They give you a pool of money to dip into. You got to, you got to look after your own insurance. You yep. got to look after yep. your own compo, your yep. own medical staff. Everything, yep. everything yep. that you, that the employer gives you, you yep. have to look after. All onuses taken off the employer and yep. put on the employee. Yep. 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 Okay. And not only that, in the partnerships. Uh, you can get voted out. Yep. If, 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 that if, if the mob in the partnership, however many there are, yep. whatever it is, 10 or whatever in the whole yep. partnership, yep. if they don't like it, Yep. You're gone. And there is no unfair dismissal no claim one, anymore because you you're not under no the fair work. There's no one you can go to to help yep. Yep. No one can help you. No, you're on your own. Yep, yep, you're an individual. Stick together. Yeah. Stick together. Yeah. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin, produced at 3CR Melbourne, distributed by the Community Radio Network and brought to you by your local community radio. Profiting from human suffering is the final outcome of the New South Wales Government's decision of giving Medibank the job of managing and publicising the world-renowned Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia phone counselling centre hotline. This happened six years ago and with the privatisation of Medibank which morphed into Medibank Health Solutions, the counselling centre hotline is at risk. The Australian Services Union's campaign, No Profit From Rape, 
in the wake of this systematic takeover of the Rape Crisis Call Centre Service over a six-year privatisation strategy by the New South Wales government to outsource community services shows the method used to put the mighty dollar before workers' rights and indeed service provision. Let's hear from the ASU worksite delegate Simone White about the situation. Yeah, so I'm Simone White and I work at Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia um, and I am a delegate with the ASU in New South Wales. What has been happening for the entire six years that the 1800 Respect Service has been running is that Medibank, the insurance company who have held part of the contract for the service, which has really just been to provide the software sort of component of the service, their strategy has been to try and take over more of the service to actually try to take um, the funding from our service, which is a not-for-profit service, Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia, to take as much of the funding as they can to actually take over the provision of the whole service and in so doing degrade the service, provide a much lesser service to people who need it so they can make money out of it. And the most extraordinary thing about this is that all these uh, rape uh, services, all the rest of it, they all come from dramatic... Uh, action from feminists in yeah. the much earlier periods, like 60s, 70s. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so our service was uh, once upon a time the New South Wales Rape Crisis Service. So it was set up out of the women's liberation movements of the 19, late 1960s and 1970s. That's how it came into existence. It's always been a not-for-profit service. It's grown as, unfortunately, the, prob- the social problem of domestic violence and sexual assault has worsened and grown. Our service has grown. And we're an internationally recognised service, like a best practice in internationally recognised service. And the thing that tells you how much our service is needed is the fact that when we started running the 1800 Respect Service in or six years ago, we got 20,000 calls the first year. In the last financial year, we had over 60,000 calls, but the funding for the service has never increased at the rate that the need for the service has increased. So what happened last year was that the Liberal Party and Medibank conspired to malign our service to say, well, you're not picking up all the calls, so we're going to have to do something else. Um, And they came up with a new model, which was basically just an excuse to take funding away from us, give it to Medibank, so that they can run um, a triage call centre um, where they answer the phones and they get people off the phones really fast rather than actually providing a proper counselling service, which is what we'd been doing. Now, that actually risks pe- like people... That, that risks people's lives. You need to be able to provide a service where you can assess for the risk of homicide, where you can assess for the risk of suicide, where you can assess for the risk of imminent injury to women and their children and to men. You know, we provide a service to men as well, particularly men who've experienced serious institutionalised childhood sexual abuse, um, who often have risk of harm and suicide risks. You have to have experienced sexual assault and domestic violence counsellors answering those calls. Medibank don't provide that. They don't have sexual assault and domestic violence counsellors answering their calls and they're making a profit out of the service and this this intersects uh, the uh, shameful uh, uh, models that are being put forward as an example of the job being done but people suffering because of it yeah it's just they just they they make up a bunch of bullshit basically. Um, so the spin that the Liberals have put on it is well all these calls being answered now that weren't being answered before. 
that's partly actually a lie. They've actually misrepresented a whole bunch of statistics when they say that. But the calls could be answered. All the calls could be answered. There's an easy fix. You provide us the proper amount of funding and all the calls could be answered. So, yeah, they've just made up, they've used a bunch of fancy spin um, to say, look, the service is much better now. And I'll just say that uh, anyone who's listening to this, if they've been sick, if they've ever had a a family member who's had to deal with any system within the health system, Mm. they will know. They'll recognise exactly exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because people know what happens when you privatise any service, whether it's a community service or, you know, a gas and electricity service. Everyone knows what happens is that the service is immediately degraded. It's not a good, it's not as good a service. And we've had hundreds of complaints, hundreds of complaints about about the new service provision model since it's been introduced. How do they expect to be accountable? Because we all know also that once something's privatised, then, you know, it's all in um, confidence, you know, commercial confidence. That's exactly right. That's well. The union has actually had to apply through the freedom of information provisions to get answers to a whole bunch of questions about what Medibank are actually doing because they don't have to tell anyone. That's exactly right. Like they're not accountable. Um, and these are taxpayer dollars. Like the government is giving taxpayer money to Medibank to run this service. And they are then turning a profit on it. Like one of their chief executive officers came out in The Australian um, in the last month and bragged about how they hope to double the operating profit of MHS, Medibank Health Services, in the next financial year. So that's double the profit that they're making off taxpayer money to run services like 1-800-RESPECT Beyond Blue and and a whole bunch of other telehealth services. And what's happening to your workers? You you actually were able to unionise everyone in your workplace. Yeah, so we've unionised. But not enough. Well, the problem, unfortunately, isn't, you know, we're not a heavily, we're completely, we're pretty much a closed shop. Like we're, you know, we're 100% unionised in our workplace. The problem is the enormous power that Medibank have. Like um, they just have such enormous power. They now have the contract. They own the contract. The government doesn't even run the contract anymore. They just gave it to Medibank. So we are answerable to Medibank. So we are answerable to that Goliath um, of a company that the Minister for Social Services fully backs. The Minister for Social Services, Christian Porter, came out and said that the name of our campaign, No Profit From Rape, is disgusting. He keeps using the word disgusting um, to describe the, the, the name of our campaign. But he doesn't come out and say, but you're wrong, they're not making a profit out of it because they are. Um, Medibank won't speak to the media. They won't defend themselves um, publicly. They won't debate us publicly. I'd like to have a public debate with Christian Porter um, and the executives from Medibank about what's happening, but they won't do that. And I think that tells you everything about the slimy, disgusting, dodgy deals that have been done behind the scenes. And yeah, we're looking at all losing our jobs. You know, our contract runs out at, at the end of June this year, and that could mean that 80 to 100 women are just, they just, we just all lose our jobs. You're on Stick Together Union News and Workers' Stories. A couple of weeks ago, PM Malcolm Turnbull announced the end of 457 visas. Jed Carney, President of the ACTU, resigned her position on the government's Ministerial Advisory Council for Skilled Migration, MASCM, as soon as Turnbull made his announcement. Stick Together went to ask her why. Well, Australian unions have been really worried about our working visa program for a long time, uh, particularly with regards to exploitation, horrible, severe exploitation of migrant workers in this country, whether they're on 457 visas, whether they're here on working holiday or the backpacker visa, 
or um, or any other sort of working visa that they're here on because student visas in particular, the exploitation is awful. Uh, secondly, we know that when these workers are exploited through absolutely no fault of their own, uh, they provide a readily um, cheap labour force um, that undermines the minimum wage, undermines enterprise bargaining and undermines um, uh, local workers actually getting access to decent work. So it has a multiplier effect. So we've been concerned about those and I've been on the Ministerial Advisory Committee for some time saying that the system needs much more integrity, it needs more monitoring, there needs to be much more severe penalties for people who exploit these workers, these workers need to be protected, they need to be told their rights. So the announcement that came out from the government is complete smoke and mirrors game. It does nothing to address any of our concerns. I mean, they've tinkered around with what we call the skilled occupations list, the list of some 600 and around 650 occupations by which an employer can bring someone into the country under a temporary worker scheme. Uh, they've whittled away, they've cut it by 200 occupations. There's been no thought really um, put into the impact of that. In fact, we're saying that uh, the occupations where we see most of the rorting and most of the problems are all still on the list. Um, what, what are those ones? Well, for example, um, roof tilers, carpenters, joiners, uh, chefs, midwives, nurses, I believe real estate agents. And we know that these, are, well, particularly, you know, some of the areas like in, in construction and hospitality are the areas where the worst exploitation and rorting of the system occurs. They've done nothing really to address any of the problems with the system. They've grandstanded. Uh, about abolishing the 457 visa when all the integrity issues with the, with the system are still there. You know, the vast majority of Australians can see the terrible issues. I mean, we've had Domino's, Pizza, 7-Eleven, you know, it's become a really big issue. They know that this is an issue that Australians are concerned about. Uh, they also, of course, are tapping into that awful populist anti-migrant sentiment that is being promulgated by the likes of Pauline Hanson. You know, they're really trying to capitalise on a very serious situation by just some sort of nebulous policy that's going to make absolutely no difference. Don't get me wrong, you know, we are not against migration. We absolutely understand that migration has built this country uh, and that, you know, we think that people should be able to come here permanently. The whole temporary nature of the current migrant visa system just opens people up to exploitation. So if if we have a proper skilled migration that is permanent, where people can come here and make their lives and have security um, and have all the protections that Australians have, then we'd have a much better system. But no, the government hasn't done anything like that. Now, it could be argued that the uh, Liberal governments that we've had, and this, this has been spearheaded by Liberal governments, that uh, you can get people from other countries to pay uh, for their uh, citizenship mm. by going through a private education provider for a particular skill that's on that list. Mm -hmm. And then after four years, then that person with the same employer or whatever, they can apply for permanent residency. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that this was the way that the Liberal governments increased uh, immigration without offending one of their core constituents. Mm. Yes. Um, 
So that's that's correct. You can actually apply for permanent residency after uh, uh, while you're here on a, a four five seven visa. Um, and really, with the changes, that hasn't changed at all. You, they're saying, oh, you can only come for two years now, but that two years, of course, can be um, expanded to four years. And then they have said, well, if you're on a particular type of visa, you won't be able to apply for permanent residency. But of course, everyone will just bring people out on the other visa. It's just, it's just a whole smokes and mirrors exercise. Um, I think the the thing to remember here is that that promise of permanent residency is what is used as a sickle over the, the worker's head. It makes them compliant. It makes them fearful of speaking up uh, against injustices. It makes them fearful of speaking up about occupational health and safety risks. It makes them fearful for everything. Um, and so it's a really strong uh, weapon in the armour of employers, unscrupulous employers, who do the wrong thing by those by those workers. So that is why we would much prefer to see a, a focus on permanent migration, where that um, that sickle that hangs over the head, if you like, is taken away. Yeah, it's a dirty trick, isn't it, to divide Australian workers in inverted commas? It's terrible. Yeah. Because once a person comes and lives in a country, then they should be part of our system. Yeah, that is right. And a lot of the time the exploitation is um, raised because uh, co-workers see what is happening. Um, I know from my experience in the health system, um, you know, other nurses, local nurses could see that uh, the migrant workers weren't being treated properly and, and they would notify the union and the union would go in and bat for those workers. But even that is really hard because it's very difficult to get right of entry. It's very difficult to get into contact with the workers. It's very difficult to help uh, represent them. What you actually find is, in fact, a lot of unions like the CFMEU get fined for actually um, intervening in some of these terrible situations. So... It's really disappointing. The whole announcement was so disappointing on many levels and you've raised some good points there. The government has got a lot of power in maintaining and regulating systems, but it spends a lot of time really just trying to promote itself in the eyes of the uh, electorate for its own self-preservation, it would appear to me. Because, you know, the, the system that you were part of, which was the government's ministerial advisory council was skilled migration, one of the reasons for why you stated that you resigned was because all these changes didn't even go through this mechanism. Absolutely not. Pretty much the council, the government's own council, was completely ignored. If these uh, policy changes had have been brought to the council, I would have spoken up very firmly against them and I would have made it go on the record and I would have had it recorded. Um, as it stands, you know, I in no way want to be want the union movement, who I represent, to have anything uh, for my members to think that we had anything to do with this. And that's really why I resigned from the council. A, it's irrelevant if the minister's going to ignore it. And B, if the minister's going to refer to the council in any way with these types of policy announcements, I don't want to be associated with that. That's it for Stick Together today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, 
there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.